Thank you for taking time to listen to this week's message from Horizon West Church. You can find even more content, including video archives of this and other past messages at horizonwestchurch.com. And if you're in the Horizon West area, be sure to visit us sometime soon. Now enjoy this podcast from Horizon West Church. Thank you, team. You guys can be seated. Uh, Let me add my welcome to Oasis Horizon West Church. What an exciting thing it is. Um, Man. And, uh, And yeah, this is your first Sunday. I met some folks in our first service, and they were like, it's our first time attending. I said, well, this is a really good Sunday to be attending for the first time, because here's what's going on. Um, And I couldn't be more thrilled about that. What an exciting day it is. And yet, uh, it's been a tough week in our nation. If you've been watching news uh, at all, you've seen some of the the hard and and in some cases horrific things that are happening. And I feel the need to, even in our celebration, even in our excitement, to just touch on uh, some of the grief that we're experiencing as a church and as a country. And I've written something uh, those that know me know that I rarely do that, but when I do it, it's because I really care about what I'm going to say, and I want to say it the right way. This is an exciting day. Two congregations, Oasis and Horizon West Church, becoming one church, just as Pastor Williams said. And in this, there is a beautiful display of the different cultures, different peoples, different nations, different languages, different experiences, and diverse points of view. In fact, in a lot of ways, we are getting to build on the work that others have gone before us in, in unifying or or bringing about the unifying vision of Jesus Christ, restated as the dream of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And in that sense, it's exciting, but it is also a difficult and a dark season in our nation. We've seen in just the past week, a young black man shot and killed during a traffic stop, and another, a U.S. Army officer harassed, pepper sprayed, and thrown to the ground during a traffic stop in Virginia. Since I originally wrote this just three days ago, we've seen more stories emerging that highlight the tension and the trouble that is is, uh, happening in our nation. For many of our members, these events stir deep feelings of insecurity, fear, and anger. They serve as reminders of the exhausting work yet to be done in the area of racial justice and of equality. Far from being distant and isolated events, these tragedies are felt deeply, personally, and painfully. And if that is where you are this morning, we want you to know that your church, both leadership of Horizon West and Oasis congregations, stand with you and we stand for you. If that is not where you are and these events feel distant, impersonal, unrelatable, I would simply ask that you lean into this opportunity to love those brothers and sisters among us who are hurting. The Apostle Paul tells us in his letter to the Corinthians that the church is made up of many unique parts, but it consists together as one body. And he instructs, if one member suffers, all suffer together. We believe the season in front of us will be filled with great opportunities and also with incredible challenges, and we are convinced that the only way we're going to meet the opportunities and overcome the challenges will be through our deep and abiding faith in Jesus, expressed in our commitment to love one another as he has loved us. Would you pray with me? Father, we are so grateful for your word, for your spirit, and for the people of God. 
God, the way that your kingdom is coming on the earth, and God, we want to participate with you in seeing that happen. These are difficult times. These are challenging times, but you said this to the disciples, and we lay claim to the same promise, that in this world we will have trouble, but we take heart because you have overcome the world. God, would that be on display here at Oasis Horizon West Church? We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, it's appropriate that today the series that we're going to be kicking off is called One Another. We're going to, over the next several weeks, unpack some of the one another's of the New Testament. Uh, Next week, Pastor William will be speaking. This week, I get to do kind of the umbrella one another, and we're going to jump into what it means to love one another. Several years ago, I was visiting my best friend uh, outside of Monterey, California. If you've been to that area of the country, you know it's just absolutely beautiful. And one morning he said, hey, let's, let's go for a hike. And I said, that sounds great. I know what a hike is in Florida. <laughs> and so I put on shoes that were nothing like appropriate to a, a mountain hike. And I put on a tire that was not fitting to the moment. And I start skipping and literally jumping over and around rocks. And my buddy Andrew says, you might want to pace yourself. I'm like, dude, what are you talking about? He was a college athlete. I played sports all through high school. Like, this is, you know, this is easy. That was mile zero. (laughs) By mile three of our mountain hike, I was breathing heavily and feeling the strain in my legs. And by mile six, I was literally on my hands and knees, and I apologize for the graphic image, but projectile vomiting (laughs) onto the mountain trail. As I'm wondering whether or not I will live, a couple probably 30 to 35 years older than me walks by with walking sticks, gives a nice (laughs) nod, and keeps going. And I wanted nothing more than to give up. I'm like, we've got a long way back. Let's just go ahead and get this started now. At least it's downhill. And my buddy Andrew said, no, 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 you're not going to want to give up. He said, trust me. Gave me some granola bars, gave me some Gatorade. He had prepared. He said, keep going. And so I kept going, and we got to mile seven, the pinnacle of the mountain, and I looked out over the Big Sur and the Pacific Ocean, and I went, wow. And in that moment, I was so glad that I didn't give up on mile six. See, I think as we think about the concept of biblical love, it is somewhat like climbing a mountain. It can be very easy at first. In fact, it can feel like we've got all the energy in the world when we're newly in love, we're newly weds, or we're new to circumstances and situations, and we go, this is always going to be good. This is always going to be easy. It's always going to be great. And then mile three comes, and mile six comes, and whether it's marriage, whether it's churches coming together as one, it gets tough. And you might be tempted to give up. And I would say to you what my buddy Andrew said, don't give up you're going to want to get to mile seven. And there, standing on the mountain, I believe we're going to see some of the most incredible things that God does in us and through us. The New Testament is filled with one another statements. Love one another, bear with one another, forgive one another, be patient patient with one another, be kind and compassionate to one another. We could go on and on and on. But here's what I believe to be the reality for most people in our world. They're looking for a church where they don't have to do the one another's. The moment the pastor says something that doesn't quite align with my view, the moment somebody hurts me or offends me, 
out the window is being patient with one another and bearing with one another, and in comes, I'll just find a new place. I'll just find a new relationship. Love is the hardest work we have to do, and we want to ask you, would you climb the mountain with us? In the book of Matthew, Jesus is asked by a teacher of the law, an attorney, he says, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? And if you have just kind of a cursory understanding of the Bible, you're probably going to think Ten Commandments, right? Those are the big boys. Don't commit murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't have other gods or cast idols. But Jesus doesn't go to the Ten Commandments, at least not directly. What he does instead is says, the greatest commandment is this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and all your strength. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, I say that he didn't go directly to the Ten Commandments because what he does is he gets there indirectly through something that the teachers of the law understood. The teachers of Jewish law in that day understood the first four commandments to be loving God. They were vertical. They're things like don't take the Lord's name in vain and don't have other gods and remember the Sabbath day. But the last six turn to the horizontal. Don't steal. Don't lie. Don't commit murder or adultery. And so the rabbis would say, basically, what God is teaching us is that we're to love God and that we're to love each other. And Jesus says, yes, but the implication is you've actually missed the point. You've gotten so caught up in the rule book, you've missed the point that the greatest thing you can do is to love God with all your heart and to love people the way you love yourself. Paul's going to build on this same concept in Romans chapter 13, verse 10. He'll say, love is the fulfillment of the law. Talk about a guy that understood Jewish law, studied it, practiced, practiced it. And he said, but here's what I've come to discover, that if I will love God and love people, all of the laws take care of themselves. Love is the fulfillment. And then again in 1 Corinthians 13, 13, he says, these three remain, faith, hope, love, but the greatest of these is love. So the question I want to ask today and seek to answer together is this. Why do we hold up love as the supreme virtue in the Christian faith? That's my, uh, my um, assumption, that it is the supreme virtue, and I want to ask the question, why? Uh, if you've got a Bible, go with me to 1 John chapter 4. We'll also have it on the, on the screen behind me here. 1 John chapter 4, and I'm going to read from verses 7 through 12. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his own Son into the world, that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. To give you some context for this letter that John is writing, John is one of the 12 disciples who has followed Jesus for three years. He's going to get the nickname, the disciple of love, because it's really the only thing that he ever seems to want to talk about. And it's not surprising, or shouldn't be, because of the 12 disciples, only one of them went all the way to the cross with Jesus, and it was John. 
So John is coming from this perspective, not only as one who followed Jesus, but who witnessed the ultimate act of love in human history, and he's just going to be hung up on the love of God. He's now an old man. All of the other disciples have died, at least the followers of Jesus while he was on the earth. So he's an aging apostle, probably writing from Ephesus, and one of his favorite ways to address the congregation he's writing to is with the words, little children. Now this is not patronizing, this isn't belittling. John is just in a place where he's not really a peer to the people that are remaining on planet Earth. He's now like a father or a grandfather. And so he's going to address them over and over as little children. But here, in 1 John 4, you'll notice the address is different. Two times, John addresses them as beloved. Beloved. In fact, in those six verses alone that we read, 15 times, John is going to use the word love or a form of the word love. So this morning, I want to give us three reasons that love is the supreme virtue of the Christian faith, and they're all going to come from this passage. The first one is this. Number one, the uh, reason that love is the supreme virtue of Christian faith is that love is the nature of God. 1 John 4, 8 again says this, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Now notice the word that John chooses. He doesn't say God is loving. He says God is love. One is an attribute. You could say of God that he is loving and that that would be true, but John's gonna say, no, 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 it's not just an attribute of God. It is the essence of God. It is the nature of who he is. And so sometimes as we talk about the character of God, we, we stumble over this idea like, like God is loving, but he's also holy and just, right? And as we talk about it, sometimes it's like we think God is suspending his love to be holy, or that he has to suspend his holiness to demonstrate love. And the truth is, God is always who he is, what he is, full love, full holiness, He's not like holding one back. He is perfectly loving and holy in all that he does. So everything that God does is holy and is loving. Now, one of the dangers that we're going to have as we look to culture, or if we look to culture, is to get an idea for what love is and then just kind of try to force God into that box. Uh, Let me illustrate it this way. If, If this was the only picture you had ever seen of the ocean and you had never been to an ocean, you would be right, this is an ocean. It's the Arctic Ocean. And if a buddy of yours said, hey, uh, let's go to New Smyrna Beach today and look at the ocean, you would uh, be in for a treat, right? You would be standing over something and you might be tempted to go, that's not the ocean. Because I've seen the ocean. And the ocean isn't white sand and waves and sunsets. It's, it's cold and, and flat and icy. Right? And one of the problems within the church is we've allowed the culture to paint a picture of love and then we've gone, well, that must be what God is like. The real thing is not what culture is offering. The real thing is expressed in God's word and most fully in the person of Jesus. So we have an opportunity to say, yes, God is love and let me show you what love looks like. I believe that love rightly understood through the lens of scripture is the essence of the nature of God. Secondly, Love is the source of our salvation. Look again at 1 John 4, verse 9. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his own Son into the world, that we might live through him. 
Now this verse, leave this up here for just a second. This is kind of a parallel to another famous thing that John said in his gospel writing. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. Both of these verses in 1 John and the Gospel of John are going to point to the same truth and we'll get to that in just a second. But here's the reality and I need you to get this. It's going to sound like I'm contradicting myself so hang with me. A person can be loved by God at the same time and not be reconciled to him. In fact, that is the condition of most people. Loved by God and yet not reconciled to God. So so what do we mean love is the source of our salvation? Here's what I mean. The love of God caused him to do something. To make manifest his love in the person of Jesus on the cross. And the cross created a way for us to be saved that by grace, through faith, we might come to the Savior. So that's what I mean when I say love is the source of our salvation, is that love must work itself out as it did in the person of Jesus. Love accomplishes nothing in the world until it is made manifest. I have invented several things over the years, and they are all wonderful inventions. Not kidding, 12, (laughs) you're laughing. 12 years ago, I invented a business. I created a business called Grocery To Go. And I, 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 in fact, I might need to do this to to validate, but I have a business plan. Like I have core values, a mission statement. 12 years ago, I had the idea that people are increasingly not wanting to go shop for their groceries, so we'll just have people go deliver them. This was 12 years ago. Uh, I also invented satellite radio and several other very cool things, but here's the problem. Here's the problem. None of those inventions were ever made manifest. And an invention that is not made manifest is not an invention. In the same way that love that is not made manifest is not love. Our vision for this Oasis Horizon West congregation is to make manifest love in our world in the willingness to listen and learn from those who are different than us, in the ability to forgive those who have wronged us, in the readiness to serve and to give and to confess and to heal, that love would be so made manifest in us through the person of Jesus that the world would begin to recover a sense of what the church is and whose the church is. And it is then and only then that we will lead them to this third reality of love, It is the distinguishing mark of the believer. It is the distinguishing mark of the believer. This is a picture of my four biological brothers. These are the four that I grew up with. Two of them have blue eyes, I do not. Uh, Aaron is tall, a little fuller and darker haired. Ben has a beard that I would just kill to be able to grow and can't. But if you spent five minutes with us, you would go, Oh, they're definitely brothers. (laughs) There is a family resemblance. There are things about us that, that give us away as family. Listen to what Jesus said to the disciples in John 13. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And by this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Translation. 
The family resemblance for Christians is not a physical feature, but a spiritual one. Love. Now, unlike physical attributes, love is not automatically hardwired into us when we're born into the God's family. I meet every Monday morning with a team of men and women that go through the text with me and we ask questions of the passage and we bat some things around. And one of the questions that came out of this last Monday's meeting was, when a person comes to faith, and we know that by grace through faith, we become filled with the Holy Spirit, we receive the Holy Spirit as God's gift to us to live within us. So the question became, do we automatically become more loving when the Holy Spirit lives in us? And I went, Man, that's a good question. Because <laughs> I know in my experience and in the experience of others that I've talked to, there is something that happens where it's like, you, you want to just go love people. You just want to serve. You just want to do good things. You just have a different feeling. It's kind of like maybe being at mile zero of the mountain and you're skipping and you're climbing and it's all good. But the problem is, if we don't work at love, If we don't learn to love the way the scripture does, we get to mile three and we find we're no further up the mountain than we were at the beginning. I might illustrate it this way. If if you were to get an Amazon package at your door, I get them daily at this point, but if you were to get an Amazon package at your door and you're like, I didn't know I was getting a package, you bring it in, you, you open it up and there's this piece of machinery that looks really, really cool, but you go, what? What is it and what does it do? And suppose somebody looked at it and goes, oh man, this is a game changer. (laughs) Everything is going to be different now. And you're like, well, great, but what does it do, right? And then you're going to look for what? You're going to look for an instruction manual. And as you understand more about that piece of machinery and how to use it, and you begin to practice using it, it fulfills its purpose. See, we we can't just rely on, well, I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, therefore, I understand everything that's happening and my perspective is right. Or or I have the Holy Spirit, so your difference of opinion, that must be godless because I'm godly and I've got... See, sometimes it's an excuse to not do the very thing God's called us to do. But as we learn from the word and as we follow the example of Jesus, the Holy Spirit within us can increase our ability to love one another as we've been called to do. See, this is a very old debate that actually happened, um, and and not not that they had this exact conversation, but imagine in the 1960s as Billy Graham is is doing his crusades, and Billy Graham is in some ways kind of the the father of current white evangelicalism, right? Like he's like, Billy Graham, you know, we hold him up. And on the flip side of that, for the black evangelical church, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. has kind of been the, the, the anchor and a, and a founding father. And, and so these two men, they loved each other, but they had some differences. I don't know if you knew that. And essentially, the difference boiled down to this. Billy Graham was all about soul conversion, right? Fill the stadiums up, proclaim the gospel, people come forward, and, and everything is better when that happens. Dr. King is more focused on something different, related but different. He's focused on social transformation. And, and so these, these conversations would happen between the two men because Billy Graham's going, look, if enough people get saved when they go back to their homes and their churches, the world will be changed. And Dr. King said, here's the problem. People are leaving your stadiums and not letting us into their churches. They weren't automatically understanding what it took to love one another. And John would say this in verse eight, anyone who does not love does not 
know God. Now, I'm going to say something that, that may be shocking to some of you. I believe as Christians, we demonstrate our love for God not primarily through vertical acts like worship and prayer, but primarily through horizontal acts like kindness and love. See, this is what John is stressing in 1 John chapter 4, and it's built on the very teachings of Jesus. This comes from the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 23 and 24. Jesus says, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. If you were to ask most people in other religions of the world, how do you demonstrate love for your God or for your deity? They're going to talk about giving and sacrifices and prayers and songs and rituals. Do you know the measuring stick for the church? It's the way we treat each other. Jesus said, this is the way people are going to know you're my disciple. This is the thing that I've given you to do. Not that the vertical is unimportant, but God's going to say, look, if you do all of that, and you don't love each other, I don't know you. See, our love for God should be born out of, or or our demonstrations of love for, for God should be born out of that deep and abiding love we have for him. But in the same way that I care more about the way you treat my kids than the way you treat me, God cares how we treat one another. That's why John could write these words in 1 John 2, 7. Beloved, I am writing you in no new commandment but an old commandment that you have had from the beginning. And he would say again this, for this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Christianity, as beautifully vertical as it is, and I loved our time of worship together, has a greater focus on the horizontal than any other religion in the world. And if you've had a perspective on Christianity that as long as I do this and I do that, then God is pleased with me. No, 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 he's actually turned it around the other way. He says, I'm pleased with you through the death of Jesus. I've poured my love into you. Therefore, go and love each other. Friends, we have a difficult path ahead of us. We have a a difficult path ahead of us as a nation. We even have a difficult path ahead of us as a church. But we believe mile seven is coming. We believe that if you'll walk with us, we're going to get to a place where we can look out and see the beautiful work of God that we would never have gotten to see if we gave up on mile six or mile five. In fact, that mile seven moment is illustrated for us in Revelation chapter seven, verses nine and ten, which say this. And this is John, the apostle that we've been reading from. He says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Every tribe, every nation, every language, standing before the throne of God, and don't miss this, standing together. This is the vision that God has for his church. This was the final prayer of Jesus. Father, let them be one as you and I are one. So if that is our future, then how should it impact our present? I would encourage you this week to simply consider one way that love can be made manifest in your life. Perhaps it's through expressing compassion or even patience towards somebody that you disagree with. It may be through extending forgiveness to someone who has wronged you. It may mean doing an intentional act of kindness to demonstrate God's love to a stranger. 
Our desire is that as we go out from Oasis Horizon West into our workplaces, our neighborhoods, our families, our communities, that people look at us and go, man, I don't get everything that they believe, and I may not have ever even been to their church, but wow, how they love each other. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Would you pray with me? God, this is an exciting day and we are so grateful uh, to be standing at this place in our journey. Two congregations that have faithfully served you, faithfully proclaimed the gospel, faithfully sought your guidance. And God, just like a father does, you said, hey, I I want my siblings together. (laughs) And God, we're excited to be in that process and, and we're excited to be on that journey. But Lord, we also know that if we're gonna do this, and we're gonna take this seriously, there will be tough days ahead. There's gonna be hard conversations. We're gonna have to one another, one another. And so God, would you give us the grace to do just that? Would you let us walk in the footsteps of Jesus who though he knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God? And Lord, as we do that, would the world see not a reason to disbelieve, but the very reason to believe the gospel, the good news of Jesus, that we can be reconciled with God and we can be reconciled to one another. It's our prayer and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the Horizon West Church Podcast. If you were inspired or encouraged by something you heard today, share it with a friend. For more information like our service time, location, and other info, be sure to visit us online at horizonwestchurch.com. Have a great week.